I hope that you have continued reading in the book of Jeremiah that you have not given up. It's a very difficult book. I do know that. It's not easy to uh, work your way through. There's a lot of condemnation in there to the little tribe of Judah. You'll recall, head with me to Jeremiah chapter 1 for a moment. You'll recall that Jeremiah was commissioned to be a prophet to the southern tribe of Judah. Israel is in the last stages of its tremendous history, uh, whereby uh, God had blessed them mightily, was working through them and in them. And remember that the nation split. It did not split in half. Ten tribes went to the north. Two tribes stayed to the south. The ten tribes that went to the north at this particular time have all but been vanquished. They've all but been destroyed uh, by uh, the Assyrians. And God has been warning the southern tribes, uh, two tribes, uh, Judah and a small part of the tribe of Benjamin, that there's impending doom coming to them if they do not repent, if they do not turn to him. And God commissioned a man named Jeremiah, called the Weeping Prophet. He wrote Jeremiah and Lamentations, and if you read through them, you'll weep as well with the horror that Jeremiah is commissioned to speak to this southern tribe. Uh, when he is commissioned, he is in the days of uh, Josiah, the king. Josiah tried to reform the nation, but the nation had already gone into the depths of wickedness and really refused to repent. They just simply refused to repent. And so now Jeremiah uh, has to speak with his people. And if you were commissioned to do something like this, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be wishing that, well, somehow there's got to be a little church I can go to on Sunday mornings. Of course, it would be a, a synagogue-type situation for him, not the synagogue, but the temple. Uh, it's got to be a place where I can go and just get refreshed. And God said, I'm afraid that's not going to be the case. There's no one that you will be able to turn to. Imagine that. Look with me at chapter 1, if please, in verse 17. Chapter 1, 17, he says, Thou therefore gird up thy loins, and arise, and speak unto them, that all that I command thee be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. Uh, don't be afraid of their faces. Now, faces are something hard to deal with. Sometimes... Uh, for example, when you're up here teaching, you, uh, you, you see happy faces and people smiling at you, and that's a wonderful thing. And sometimes you'll see a face all crunched up, and they're looking at you, you know, what did he just say? What did he mean by that? What's wrong with that guy up there? You, you can get really, you know, and you start seeing the face, and you start getting a little dismayed. God said, if you get dismayed at them, I'll make you dismayed. I'll make you dismayed. Imagine that. Lord, this, this guy is going to be in trouble. However, notice what he says. For behold, I have made thee this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. Who was on this guy's side? That's it. Everybody was going to be against them. Everybody. Now, we'll see as we go through, he did have a few people that sided with him, and we're thankful for that. His, uh, he had a secretary, Barak, a Baruch, that, uh, that uh, penned some of his message. But what we want to see is God had commissioned him 
to, to speak to this people. Now, all the way along, all the way along, God was giving them an opportunity to repent. God knew their heart. He, all the way along, he gave them an opportunity to repent up until the very day of judgment, they had an opportunity to repent. After Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldeans came, they still had an opportunity to repent. Howbeit, they were going to spend time, 70 years, in a great captivity, never to recover from that. They came back to the land, but they were just a mere pittance of what they used to be as a people when they finally came back to the land. Okay, so we've been looking at this. Now, what happened first of all? Well, we spent some time on several of these things. One of the things I wanted to look at tonight, just for a few moments that we have together now, is that they saw the northern kingdom, and they saw everything that happened to the northern kingdom, and God reminds them of that. Turn with me, please, to Jeremiah chapter 3. The first thing I want to uh, remind you of is they were... Uh, in the land, and God said in chapter 3, verses 1, right down through verse 5, they completely polluted the land. They polluted the land, uh, with a, with, not with a physical pollution, but rather with spiritual corruption. The entire land was polluted. A small piece of property in comparison with the entire land of Israel, but Judah had polluted, completely polluted, spiritually the land there were there were idol worship all there was idol worship all over the place upon every high hill under every green tree as you're reading through Jeremiah you'll read that over and over under every green tree every green tree pollution why they were up there worshiping idols but God wants them to to try to remember back look with me please at chapter 3 and verse 6 and the Lord said unto me in the days of Josiah the king Hast thou seen what backsliding Israel has done? So he's reminding them, the northern tribes. Now this was just a few years prior they were finally taken into complete cap captivity. Hast thou seen what backsliding Israel has done? I believe the ESV says they're faithless. And as you read through, if you're reading in the KJV, you'll read backsliding. If you're reading in the ESV, you'll read uh, faithless. But the term is continually they fell back. They were faithless. They didn't believe God. They didn't trust God. So the, what happened? They fell into error. They fell into judgment. And I tried to remind you of this a couple weeks ago. Uh, backsliding is an interesting thing. We use that as an old King James word, backsliding. But it makes it sound like I was going forward pretty well, like on a, on a slippery hill, and all of a sudden I slid back. That's not what God's referencing. You stop going forward and then you fall back. When you stop going forward, you fall into sin. If you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, but the moment you stop, what happens? You start headed backwards. A good friend of mine many, many years ago, Dr. J.O. Percy, said, you're either a better Christian today than you were or not as good. What he means by that, simply this, if you're not walking in the spirit and growing in Christ, you're going to head backwards, and it's a long road back. It's a long road back. Be careful, he says. Well, have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? Uh, verse, uh, again in verse 6, she has gone up upon every mountain and ever, under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I, and I said af, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. You see that? 
They saw it. They saw it happen. And yet they kept choosing the way of destruction. I've, just a quick illustration. Forgive me. It's still fresh in my mind. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, so it's a long time ago, but back then, my wife and I, my wife's grandfather had died. We lived in Lowell, Massachusetts. And, I mean, we worked in Lowell, Massachusetts, and we lived in Nashua, New Hampshire, about a 20 to 30-minute drive. And you drive up alongside the Merrimack River. It used to be a beautiful drive. Anyway, we were going home. It was in the wintertime. And we were driving through Tingsboro at the next state, next section is Massachusetts. We were driving up through there in the wintertime. It was at night and it was raining hard and all of a sudden there was the worst flash freeze I have ever seen in my life. I've never seen anything like it. Instantaneously the ground turned to sheer ice and cars were crashing. We witnessed approximately 20 crashes. Approximately 20. Finally, we got off the road a little bit, and we needed to go up into a place where there was a market basket. Now, that many, many years ago. And it was kind of up on a hill, and I took a, a roundabout way, and we got up on the hill. And as Nancy ran in, I watched cars slide down that hill with, all, with the brakes on, mouths wide open, people screaming. I saw them go down that hill and smash into cars coming up what I know to be the Daniel Webster Highway. I saw it. I could not believe it. It was beyond description. I will not forget it until the day that I die. Okay, now I saw that happening. I saw the damnation. I saw the destruction. I saw the horrible crashes. Would I choose to go home that way? See? No. I went a different way. Israel, uh, Judah saw Israel crashing. They saw the destruction. They saw God's chastening, God's judgment. They saw the, the uh, Assyrian Empire coming in. And what did they do? They did the very same thing. The very same thing. Judah saw it. Her treacherous Judah saw it. Verse 8. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Imagine that. They saw it all happen. It wasn't ancient history. It was modern history. They saw exactly what, Judah, what Israel did, how Israel was judged by God, and what they did. The same thing. The same thing. An, an incredible, incredible thought. God pleads with them. And you can read this as you're reading throughout the book, return unto me. Repent, return, repent, return. Over and over and over, return unto me. God begins bringing judgment upon Judah. And he brings it in the form of a lack of rain. A lack of rain. Now, remember they were they were promised a land in the book of Deuteronomy, a land that flowed with milk and honey that was well watered. The, the, there was a, an early rain and a latter rain. It blessed them all of the time. Their crops grew profusely. It's just an incredible, incredible blessing for them to see. As a matter of fact, we won't go there, but when Abraham and Lot were in the southern part of the land and God said uh, he, uh, that Lot looked up and all the all the ground was well watered. If you were to travel there today, you, you'd stand in those places and you'd say, what in the world was that guy talking about? Arid desert. 
just a few green sprigs every once in a great while. Why? Because there's no water down there. Why? It's a result of God's judgment, God's continual judgment upon the land of Israel. They continually turn away from him. But God says, I'm going to begin to dry up your land, the land that I promised to give you and bless you in because of your pollution in the land. Let's look at just a couple of quick passages, please. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah 5 and verse 23. But this people uh, has, uh, have a revolting and rebellious heart. They have revolted and are gone. Neither say they in a heart. Now let us fear the Lord our God, who giveth us rain both in the former and latter in its season. And, um, and he reserveth unto us an appointed week to harvest. God's been blessing us with rain. And the more they turned away from God, they didn't say, well, we, 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 we better believe God here. Uh, God, God is blessing us. We better believe him. We, we better trust him. They didn't say that. They continued down their road. And what happened? Well, look at chapter 14. Chapter 14. Notice verses 1 and following of chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 1. The word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah concerning a dearth or a, a, a drought. The place was just drought-stricken. Judah mourneth, and its gates languish. They are black unto the ground. And the city cries. Jerusalem is, is, uh, is gone up. The city's just crying. The whole place is now dying of thirst, verse 3. And their nobles have sent the little ones to the waters. They came unto the cisterns and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. Uh, they were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. Because the ground is cracked, there is no rain in the earth. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yet the hind also calved in the field and forsook it because it was no grass. And the wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like jackals. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. O Lord, though our iniquity testify against us, do it for thy name's sake. For, thy back, for our backslidings are many we have sinned against thee. Jeremiah could see that the drought was because of sin. God had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey, and yet because they turned against God, he was withholding uh, the rain from them. Now, you might ask, and I ask all the time, how could they do this? How, couldn't they see what was wrong with these people? And then I start asking the same thing about myself a little bit. I know what God says. I, I know that he's going to return soon. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, I, I know that he's going to take me to be home with him. I know that we're going to stand before the great Bama seat of Christ. I know that. I know these things. And yet, do I always honor the Lord? Well, the answer is no. I don't always. I don't always do what I'm supposed to do. But I know it. And I'll read the book of Jeremiah and say, what was wrong with these people? Well, you know what was wrong with them? The heart. Deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. That's why I need a new heart, a kosher heart, right? And I need to keep going forward with that new heart. But I want you to notice what God says to these folks. It's kind of interesting uh, to me to, to see what he says. Turn with me, please, to um, 
Jeremiah chapter 2, all the way back, Jeremiah chapter 2. We looked at this just for a moment last week in Jeremiah chapter 2. He warns them. Now, what, what was he warning them about? About a superficial turning. A superficial turning. See, when things start to happen uh, in our lives, to our lives, uh, whether they're outside influences, inside influences, whatever, whatever it may be, physical, mental, whatever it is, when things start to happen, we uh, begin to reform. But often, it's, it's a physically rather than uh, spiritually. It's intellectually. You know, i got to stop thinking that way. Uh, I have to turn over a new leaf. You ever done that? I've got to change what I'm doing. And God wanted the nation of Israel to know it's not an outward change that's going to affect anything. Look, if you would, at Jeremiah chapter 2. Look at verse 19, please. Jeremiah 2 and in verse 19. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Now therefore, know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. For of old I have broken thy yoke and burst thy bands, and, and thou saidest, I will not transgress, when upon every high hill and under every green tree you wander playing the harlot. Yet I planted thee a noble vine, holy, a right seed. How then art thou turned unto a degenerated plant of a strange vine unto me? See, they turned away from God. They turned toward wickedness. And now he makes this statement to them. And this is in the King James Bible. For though, for though thou wash thee with lie and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord. See, they were going to go through perhaps an outward. Oh, we're going to stop. We'll even tear down these altars. We'll, we'll do all the right things that we're supposed to do. And God says... Listen, you're just washing the outside. Though you wash with lye, a, a, I mentioned last week, a, a potent, potent acid-type material that it takes skin off you. The, even if you scrub up with something, it'll take the skin off you. Your iniquity is marked before me. Why? Because you're just doing it as an outward expression. What does God want from them? Well, turn with me to chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 talking about the impending judgment. We'll pick it up in verse uh, 14, if we could, please. O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from thy wickedness, that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge in thee? See, wash your heart from wickedness. What can, we can make application. We need to be careful here, of course, as New Testament Christians. Uh, we, we need to get a cleansing every once in a while, don't we? We're, 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 we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. We, we understand that. Our position is in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But God gives us a couple of passages of Scripture that remind us we need to confess our sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all sin, all unrighteousness. We need to wash up every once in a while, don't we? We need to make sure we're, we're a clean vessel. 
Remember, in a large house, Paul told Timothy, there, there's all kinds of vessels, he said, but you need to purge yourself from sin. Why? So that you're a clean vessel worthy of God's use. We need to clean up once in a while. We need to do the same thing. What did God say? Don't, it's not the outside that is important to God. If it was, he would have made me better looking. It's the inside. He's interested in your heart. See, we, we want to fix up the outside often. We, we want to do something to the outside. But God says, no, it's, I'm going to change that. You need a whole new body. You need whole new thinking. You, I'm going to fix the whole thing. But until th that time, I want you to walk with the integrity of your heart. I want you to walk in your heart. Now, there's a, this worthless self-reformation uh, that goes on. I want to just compare this just for a moment if we can. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. It's talking about a demon-possessed man. Now, we know nothing about this man. Uh, the Lord Jesus just speak, brings this up in the context of, of Luke chapter 11. And he talks about a selfless a reformation, someone cleaning up their life. And we hear this all the time, do we not? We hear about people cleaning up their life. Well, they, uh, they, were, they were drunks, and now they're sober. They've been sober a number of years. And, or, or they were drug addicts, and now they're, they're, they're better, and they don't take the drugs anymore. Or uh, they used to run around and cheat, and now they don't do that. And they stopped. They, stopped, they fixed something in their life. And it's possible for an unregenerated person to do that, and it's possible for a Christian to do that. But recognize, recognize just below the surface, unless you get that thing made right with the Lord, just below the surface, you're going to bump in and fall apart, bump into your sin again and fall apart. Or you're going to jump into something else. We're in Luke chapter 11. Look at verse 24. When an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, this man was demon-possessed. It's not talking about a believer uh, here, a New Testament uh, Christian. Uh, this is, would be talking about an Old Testament. The guy might have even been a saint. I'm not sure about that. Remember that the Old Testament people were not permanently indwelt, though we don't have a record of a demon-possessed believer, uh, Old Testament believer. But recognize, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest, and he finds none. And he says, I will return unto my house from which I am come. So you get it? The demon leaves a man. And he's, and he's looking for another body to indwell, another body to possess. And as he's doing that, he doesn't seem to be able to locate someone that's suitable for him. But notice verse 25, and when he comes, he finds it swept and garnished. That is, this guy leaves this demon leaves when he comes back. This guy has tried to straighten out his life. He's tried to be a better person than he was. Demon-possessed, he was involved in all kinds of things. Now he stopped that, and he's trying to clean up his life and become a respectable Old Testament a Jew. But notice what happens when the demon gets back. There's nothing to block him from going back into this guy. There's nothing to stop him. Why? Because the guy has gone through a self Reformation. He cleaned up his act, if you would. Verse 26, Then he goeth and taketh unto him seven more spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. Imagine that. What's that? That's cleaning up one's life. Uh, and before I came to Christ, I did that dozens of times. Dozens of times as an unregenerated young man. 
I'm, I'm going to stop that. I'm never going to do that again. I'm not going to drink that stuff or I'm not going to get involved. With, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never, ever going to do that again until when? The next time. There was nothing in there to replace my worthless self-reformation. But once Christ came, now there was a battle, right? The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. God was working. God was convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment. What was happening with the nation of Israel? They were just continuing on. They were continuing on in their sin. You need to wash your heart, Judah. You need to cleanse yourself, Judah. Who's going to do it? They were going to do it. They had to do it. God was pleading with them. God sent the prophets. <coughs> they were all around preaching the word. Here's Jeremiah begging them to turn, giving them God's word that would convict them. And they had to wash their heart. But they weren't doing it. They just weren't. Were there some, perhaps, we have no, we have no idea who did. Very few, if any, uh, turned their hearts uh, to the Lord. I want to look at a couple more things just very quickly here. Uh, turn with me all the way back in the book of Jeremiah to chapter 5. I want to look, if we could at the false prophets of Judah. Jeremiah talks a lot about these false prophets under the inspiration of the Spirit, God, of course, leading him. <clears throat> but in Jeremiah chapter 5, I'd like you to notice two different aspects of this in uh, verse 30. This, to me, this is one of the most striking, two, some of the most striking two passages in all of Jeremiah. Now, I'm reading again from a, King James, a, uh, a King James Bible, he says, an appalling and a horrible thing is committed in the land. This is something that just makes you, your teeth hurt when you think about this. Horrible, appalling thing is committed in the land. What land? Israel. Judah, specifically. What is it, God? What is this about? The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests bear rule by their means, their direction, not God's, theirs. And what's the worst of it? And my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end of it all? Now, we want to talk about these false prophets. I suppose it would be easy for us to blame the false prophets, wouldn't it? I, I, I suppose it would be easy to blame them. Because you think, well... Uh, they're the ones that led these people in the wrong direction. Uh, but the people went. Did you ever buy something you shouldn't have? Uh, and, the, and you blame the salesman? That guy sold it to me. Yeah, but you bought it. You bought it. Yeah, but he lied. Yeah, but you didn't check it out. Let the buyer beware. The, th these people are throwing lies at the people. And the people bought it. They bought into the whole lie. My people love to have it so. So we want to just investigate and ask a question. Okay, Just ask a question of yourself. Could this happen today? Could this happen today? Could there be false prophets out there? Of course, today we have media, radio, television, internet, tweets, and toots and everything that goes with them. We have all that out there, okay? And here's these guys out there 
and, and Peter warns us, there were false prophets among the people. He's talking to the church, right? Even as there shall be false teachers among you. There's a warning there, right, to the church. Israel was fooled. Don't you be fooled. Don't you be fooled. So could it happen today? Well, the answer is, of course it could. But I want to investigate these people a little because it's frightening. It's frightening. What are they doing? What are they doing? Well, we'll start, and then we'll have to stop and pick it up the next time we're together. Turn with my, me to Jeremiah chapter 7. Okay, now, Jeremiah is commissioned to go to the temple. This was the most magnificent temple ever built in the history of mankind. There were uh, the seven wonders of the ancient world. I was helped out with that this morning. There's all kinds of wonders around, but there's seven wonders of the ancient world. And this temple was included among them, apparently. Everything overlaid with gold. One of the most magnificent temples that was ever in existence called Solomon's Temple. The plans were given to David by the Spirit. David gave them to Solomon. Solomon built the thing. We won't go into the ramifications of that. But Jeremiah now is commissioned to go into that temple. And by the way, they're just rehabbing it. This would be a great job for someone flipping houses, right? This thing. They're, they're re what? It's, been, it's filthy. They were actually doing sacrifice in this to false gods when Josiah came, remember? They had to clean up the whole mess. And accidentally, quote, they found the scrolls in there. Imagine that. They weren't looking for them. They're just looking to clean the place up. And they found the word of God and hold them, uh, directed them in the whole business. You recall that. Well, anyway, Jeremiah's commission to go to that temple and to prophesy against the people because of the temple. Now, we're going to pick this up at a later date, but I, I, I want to show you what's going on in this temple. So we're in chapter 7, and I want you to skip all the way down, please. Well, let's read it. The word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, verse 1, saying, Stand in the gates at the Lord's house and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye Judah, and these that enter into these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust, listen, trust not in lying words, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. They were trusting in lying words. Who was lying? The prophets. And we're going to see that. Why? Because Jeremiah is saying, if you, don't, if you don't repent and turn to Jehovah, this whole place is going to be destroyed. And the prophets were saying, don't, don't worry. It's not true. How could God destroy this? This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. God would never destroy this place. We, we come here on Sundays and we hear the word of God. It would be beyond our thinking to even comprehend God closing down this church. Would it? Just turn a little bit. Just let leaven get in there. It will leaven the whole lump. If you don't believe me, when you get to heaven, ask some of the brethren that were to Ephesus. God removed their candlestick. And there is no church at Ephesus. One of the greatest God-fearing, God-honoring places on the face of the earth in their day 
and there is no more. Why? They left their first love. So the prophet's saying, it will never happen. Don't worry about it. What happened? A little leaven leavened the whole lump. And before you know it, the temple was completely vanquished. Now, we're going to see that in just a little while. But what about these prophets? Now, here's the most frightening thing. God said, they ran, but I never sent them. God said, they said, but I never said that. Are there people today who are saying they received a word from the Lord? The answer to that is yes. They believe they're receiving some kind of new revelation, don't they? They believe they got a new message. God spoke to me last night, and they mean audible voice. They're lying, and they know it. They know it, and they're still lying. Could it happen today? We're going to look at it. We'll see together. God tells us that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And it'd be no great thing if his demons are also ministers of righteousness, unrighteousness, if you would. But remember, there's always a little tiny bit of the word in there. We're in chapter, head with me to chapter 6, please. Look at verse 13. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone deals falsely. Now listen to this. They have healed also the hurt of my daughter, of the daughter of my people, this is Judah, slightly or lightly saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. You see that? They healed, but what was it? Just slightly. Just a little bit. And that's what the false teachers do today. There's a little bit of the word. Well, at least they got this right. Yeah, but everything surrounding that is wrong. It's It's out of the word of God. And they know it, and they do it. Let's pray. Father, help us, help each one of us to recognize that uh, we need to beware. We need to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. We need to make sure that we're not relying upon uh, other men to uh, be our spiritual guides, but rather that we are uh, uh, relying upon the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for teachers that you've given to the church, for, for the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that were part of the New Testament church, the foundation that was laid, the Lord Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. But help us to recognize, Lord, that we have a responsibility to to look at the Word of God, to have it as part of our lives, to let the Word of God dwell in us richly so that we're not fooled by any false information that might be coming our way. Thank you for this time, Father. Thank you for your grace Thank you for uh, the completed word of God whereby we can check, where we can search. And we should be as the Bereans to receive the word with all readiness of mind and then search the scriptures to make sure these things are so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.